0: My name is Lillian. I'm part of the Houghton MC, and I serve in the toddler room. If so, you might have seen me there. Um, Today I'll be reading from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this.
1: You can be seated and we'll dismiss our school age kids to the back to see Miss Robin back there. All right, here they go. They're excited. Excited, excited. While they're uh, doing that, let me invite you, if you uh, brought a copy of God's Word with you or you have it on uh, an app on your uh, smartphone, um, that you would pull that out and uh, flip open to about the middle of your Bible uh, to Isaiah. Before we get into that, um, we typically always start uh, our Advent season um, talking about a few uh, other uh, quick, quick things. Uh, Advent means the appearing. It means um, literally the appearing as they, uh, the people of God long for the coming Messiah that was promised way back in Genesis, that there would be a promised seed, there would be a second Adam. And uh, they longed and waited and uh, intertestamental period, several hundred years of darkness uh, where God did not speak through any prophets or did they hear the word of the Lord. And uh, then the Christmas narrative starts with uh, John the Baptist uh, and then Jesus and the stories that we're very familiar with. And as we even sang that song, I'm just reminded that the whole thing and the ministry that we carry now is that thing that, that Jesus would be lifted high through us. And we sang in our life and in our love, and we can sing in our city, in Bowsser City or Benton or Haughton, we could sing in our high school. in Benton High, Lord, would you be lifted high in Airline High and Haughton High, and the junior highs and the elementaries and our jobs, on our sports teams, in our neighborhoods. Or would you be lifted high? Would we be the ones that are doing that very thing? And that's really our prayer. That's what I hope we get through Advent today. We met and prayed this morning, and our prayer was simply this, that you would see Jesus. As we start the Advent season, I want to give you just a quick update on our Christmas mission uh, offering goal. Every year when we start Advent, we highlight our mission partners Uh, the adoption funds one of those things we'll be hearing about church planters and we'll be hearing about our mission uh, really uh, around the world in subsequent weeks and we take up a big offering called our Christmas mission offering at the end of the year that helps uh, ready us prepare us um, for um, maximizing kingdom impact And uh, we're currently at the end of a giving initiative on top of that called Above and Beyond, where we give above our normal tithes and offerings so that our kingdom impact can go beyond its normal boundaries. And uh, we've been doing offerings like this at the end of Christmas Mission Offering really since the very, very beginning. Uh, We called it all kind of different names. It landed with Christmas Mission Offering. Um, but that enables us to uh, to really support our mission partners and to see the darkness push back and the kingdom of light expanded. Uh, one case in point just a few months ago, uh, Shane Booker, he's one of our uh, church planters in the Lower Ninth Ward in New Orleans. And he called me and he said, Luke, literally his voice shaking. And he said, man, I'm so embarrassed to do this. I don't want to be calling you. But there were some permits and things that I didn't know we had to have. And the city has threatened to shut us down. And uh, they have a little uh, platform, business mission platform of a coffee truck and uh, snowballs and this kind of thing. And he's, I'm in coffee on the red, having coffee with a friend. And he's like, is, can you, what, what can you guys help? Can you give a couple hundred dollars? Like, How much do you need? He said, it costs 4000 And I was like, we'll take care of it. $4,000, we will take care of it. He's like, well, don't, don't you need to call Jason or Jamie? Oh, I know, the, I know what their answer is going to be. Don't you need to meet with the board? No, we don't need to do any of that. Because our people have already given that money. They give every year at the end of the year, so we can say yes to requests like this. And if you're new here, one of our hearts is really the mission of God around the world. And our goal is to give uh, equal to 50% of our annual budget away to missions, that's our goal. We've never hit 50, but we've come really close. We've hit the low 40 several times. And um, so this is part of that, that we raise money so that we can give and give back and invest. And the offering looks a little different this year because we're kind of combining Christmas mission offering with the Above and Beyond initiative where we're raising money for us to have a permanent location. So our goal this year is $250,000 and uh, we're going to have two offerings. We're going to have one in a couple weeks, uh, December 17th. We're going to have kind of our first fruits offering. We're going to try to take care of our mission partners And then we'll have one on Palm Sunday as we kind of wrap up. And we hope to shortly thereafter move into a new facility. The Great Commission calls us to make disciples here, near, and far. And that's what we want to do. In Jerusalem, that was there here, around them, here. And in Judea, that was the state they lived in. That was near them. This is our ministry to uh, New Orleans and church planting around and to the very ends Of the earth. And so this is our hope to do this. So we'll have one fun. We'll take up this normal Christmas offering, combine it with the tail end of the above and beyond, have another offering on Palm Sunday, and then hope we celebrate all that God has done through this. So I'm just asking you to pray, Lord, what would you have me do? And listen as He speaks and risk obeying Him. Normally, when you ask Him these questions, He doesn't tell you anything about money. But he does start to soften your heart to the things that breaks his heart. And um, lay your yes on the table. We'll talk more about that today. Let me pray for us as we jump into this text today. God, I pray that you would move mightily in our minds, our hearts. Lord, prepare us not to blow through this season just with all the nostalgia and the weather songs. Lord, that we would worship you. That we would see you high and lifted up. That you would draw all men and women and teenagers and students and children, even in this room, unto yourself. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. This weekend, I was able to be with a couple church planters over in uh, the Dallas area. And Dave and Heather came with me, and we helped host and support uh, 30 ministry couples, most of them church planters. And just as a way to get to know each other, I asked the question, what do you hope is under the Christmas tree with your name on it this year? And we had all kind of uh, answers from uh, a, a cruise to a new truck. They think really big, church planters. Um, uh, <laughs> a lot of vision, those guys. Uh, someone said a nap with some cozy pajamas. Uh, maybe made me a little more realistic. I get that. And if we ask the same question to you today, what would you really want under that Christmas tree? I think a lot of our answers would include things that aren't things. Relationships reconciled healing of physical diseases, the brokenness of this world that's really close to us, that God would really show up in a way. And this is why I love the Christmas season, because there's no greater season to remind us, just as the angel did to Mary, that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. I think we forget that. And I think the Christmas season is a miraculous season and it reminds us of the miraculous things that God still does in and through his people. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the names of Jesus and we entitled our little series, Hope Has a Name. And hopefully you're following along with us during the Advent devotionals. And we've got 25 different names of Jesus. There's more than those, but we've got 25 that we're going to walk through. And I I hope you're teaching them to your kids. But I hope you're also reminding them of each other. And if you're a college student or uh, single or empty nest or you don't have kids, this is still great for you to do. It's just to be reminded of the very essence of who Jesus was. And as we look over these names of Jesus... I hope that you realize that the greatest need you have can only be met through a relationship with Jesus. Oftentimes, it's not in the ways that we think He should meet those needs, but He is the greatest need meter. That's a, that's a weird, that's bad grammar. He He meets our needs. And here in Isaiah nine, this is a confusing passage. It actually starts back in Isaiah seven, and King Ahaz is. Uh, surrounded by the Assyrian army, and he's worried about what to do. And through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord is speaking to King Ahaz, and A- King Ahaz really doesn't want to hear it. King Ahaz wants to lean on his own understanding and go make truce with the Assyrian army that surrounded the walls. And God is saying, hey, listen, King Ahaz, if you'll just ask for a sign, I'll give you a sign. And in me giving you a sign, then you will know that I am God and I am in charge and I am close and I'm going to bring you through this. But King Ahaz says, I don't want the sign. And God says, I'm going to give you the sign anyway. And the sign that we get here really has dual meaning. A lot of biblical prophecy is this way. It has an immediate meaning. As someone in the royal household was to be uh, with child and basically what commentators think before that child moves to solid food that God had promised that he was going to protect them and save Jerusalem from the Assyrian army. Ahaz didn't want any part of that and so he didn't really listen. He made the truce on his own. God still saved Jerusalem from the Assyrian army but God did not bless King Ahaz in the process. But the other side of that coin in this biblical prophecy is the prophecy about the greatest salvation that would come not temporary to provide safety for a city but eternal to save us from our very own sins and so what we see here is a birth announcement there's a couple of weird things about this birth announcement in isaiah 9 it's a birth announcement that's given 700 and something years before the baby would be born it's like you getting a birth announcement in junior high hey you're gonna have a baby one day okay that's strange and this is what it is you're this is gonna be a baby and it's not just any birth announcement it's your birth announcement like uh the baby's gonna be born uh to you the text says and uh the baby's gonna be uh your baby is gonna be born born to you and then it tells us exactly who this coming messiah would be and what he's going to do 700 and something years before it happens a birth announcement there's going to be a messiah born and he is going to be a gift to you and this is who he's going to be tells us exactly who the baby is and what he's going to do now this is a strange we don't have this we don't have this thing in the west that I didn't send out birth announcements that uh, Hudson Powell Allen is going to be born this day, and he's going to be a handsome fellow like his father, and uh, he's going to love the outdoors, but also love really bougie hotels at the same time, and he's going to be slightly messy. That would be that would be strange if that was included in the birth announcement but this is what's included and the other strange thing about this birth announcement is the baby that is coming is actually going to bring gifts with him the baby himself will be bringing you gifts now we've had three babies at a hospital and I say we because I was there I didn't do much else but I was there and uh, those babies never brought gifts with them now, I understand the baby in itself is a gift from the Lord. I understand that. But they didn't bring me gifts. They brought me dirty diapers and sleepless nights and a lot of debts is what they really brought with me. They didn't bring a Starbucks card because they understood the sleepless nights that I would endure or cash to cover those hospital car, uh, costs or a voucher for marital counseling that having kids like bull stress to the top. And then... No, they didn't bring any of that. But it says Jesus himself will be bringing these gifts, and they'll be coming with him in a person. Now, let me remind you that the Bible is very clear that our father, our incredible heavenly father, loves to give good gifts to his kids. Jesus wanted to make sure we knew this in Matthew 7. He says, you then who are evil give good gifts to your children. How much more your father who is in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask? Our heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to his children. James would say the half-brother of Jesus in the uh, letter that, that bears his name, every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James one seventeen. Our Father loves to give good gifts. And a matter of fact, anything you can put your hands on in this world that you would call a good gift came from the Father. Everything that causes you to laugh, every sense of smell that brings delight to you, every landscape you see that stirs your heart a little bit, every warm embrace that you experience, every good thing comes from the Father. Not only does the Father give us these good gifts and love to give us these good gifts and take great joy in giving us these really good gifts, Scripture says that he will never not do that to those who are his children. That he will never change, that he's the same today and yesterday and forever as far as we can look back and as far as we can look forward. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't get grumpy. And the greatest gifts that we could ever get are in the person of Jesus. Specifically lined out here in Isaiah, he really spells out four different kind of gifts, four aspects of who Jesus is that is the exact gift that we really need, whether it's on our list or not. It's pretty amazing. And you might say, well, Luke, these, these Christmas stories are cute. The nativity and the donkeys and whatever else and the songs that we sing, these are cute, but but I've got real problems. My house is about to be foreclosed on. I've got relational trauma that just reopened through the Thanksgiving season that I've got relationships that need to be reconciled, that I'm overdrawn, that, that I've got a health diagnosis that is not a positive one, that I've got wayward kids, that I've got a boss that doesn't like me, or I'm unemployed, and we could list all the things, and we would say, Luke, I have real problems. Well, that's great news, because those are the kind of problems that Jesus loves to step into. In this story, these are the same questions that they would have been asking in King Ahaz's day. We've got a real army sitting out there who really wants to destroy us. What does this promise of a future Messiah really do for us now? Well, it really answers their real problems in two ways. One, first in sending Jesus, God was dealing with the greatest problem at its roots. You know, our problems are much deeper than merely an enemy army arrayed against us or health issues or or, or relational conflicts or economic needs. The root of our problem is really, if we really get to it, is a separation from holy God. All of our Earthly problems ultimately stem back to that one. I don't mean that the problem that you're experiencing now is, not, is, is some sort of God's punishment for some specific thing. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if God were to take away all of our problems without fixing our real problem, separation from God, we would just, with our sin nature, go create new problems. In one of his writings, Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, said that evil was a shapeshifter. It's like a shadow after you defeat it. It just pops up somewhere else. It takes another shape. It grows again. Luther said the problem with the human heart is that it's curved in on itself. We are radically self-absorbed. So much so that we can barely even grasp it. It creates a darkness in us and gives birth to this whole spectrum of evil. From horrific crimes that we see on the news to our problems with the smartphones in our hands to the reasons for your broken marriage. Therefore, sin had to be dealt with at its root. And so, God, in the midst of his offer to help Ahaz, promised a Messiah that would ultimately save us from our sins and transform our hearts at the very core, deepest level. So we cry out to be delivered from bad health, but God wants to deliver us from the curse of death itself that causes bad health. And we cry out to be delivered from injustice or broken relationships, but God wants to deliver us from the sin and selfishness that breaks those relationships in the first place. And we cry out for victory in war, but God promised a Messiah who takes away the hatred in our hearts that drives us to war in the first place. Do you see it? The ultimate gift that salvation could not come from a warrior who would ride in on a horse to conquer and defeat all of our problems but this is what we celebrate at Christmas it came from a baby who would be born like us and grow up to live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we were condemned to die and thereby release us from the curse of sin that's at work inside of us and break its power over our lives that's the greatest Christmas story that's the good news of who Jesus would be ultimate salvation would come through him. That's the first way this promise of the Messiah really addressed their real problems. But the second way the promise spoke to their situation was in the four relational names that God gave to them in the Messiah. The four things of who he would be, of what he would do, Here they are again, if you have the text up there. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Today we're going to talk about the Wonderful Counselor. The wonderful counselors, two Hebrew words that are mashed together here. The Hebrew word for wonderful means beyond understanding. It's the word that you use when something is too wonderful for words. You know, like when the, when the groom sees the bride for the first time. If you remember that feeling, if you're married and you're standing at the Foot of the aisle, and they have the whole little tradition where you can't see it. That's so silly to me. The, you can't see the bride, or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's some kind of curse, or a mirror breaks, or a black cat. Something. I don't know what happens, but it's not supposed to do it. And then you're standing at that aisle, and you see the bride come through the doors, and everybody stands up, and the and they're hard to describe. Words beautiful seems so underwhelming at that moment too wonderful for words this is what it's saying he's the wonderful counselors beyond understanding it's the word that something was just too wonderful for words like you ever you ever seen like just uh, been in the been in the woods and seen uh, the the starry sky or super moon or a phenomenal sunset, or a rainbow, and you get out your phone real quick and you try to capture it, and then you look at it later and it just looks underwhelming. We try to take pictures of fireworks, please keep doing that. Yeah, post them all over your social media. Like, oh, that's that's nice. It was so so underwhelming. You had to be there. This is what this word means. It's just too wonderful for words. And then counselor means the one who advises or instructs or guides. And here's the key, that they do so from the position of authority. This was a titled position. Like the, 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 When we hear that, a lot of us think therapists. Like I'm going to go lay on a leather couch and he's going to ask me about my feelings and I'm going to tell him about them. Right? That that's a therapist. But that's really not what this means. That that position didn't exist for a really long time, a uh, therapist. And I, I am for therapists and we need therapists. Um, but that's not what necessarily this is. This was more of a king's advisor. This would be like the king who would have two or three trusted wise men on his side at all times. And when he'd have to make a decision, he would lean back and he would refer to them and they would would collaborate and they would bring forth. This seems like the wisest decision. It's the same word that's used of King Solomon. Remember King Solomon and all his wisdom gets in a really difficult place as he becomes king. And the other brother wanted to be the king, the, the rightful older brother. And God said, no, Solomon's going to be the king. So he takes the throne after David dies and he is in a mess. He's, he, he's got to deal with, the, with, the, with the, the, the family tension, which I'm sure, you know, you, you guys know nothing about. No family tension ever in our lives. And he's got to deal with family tension and... He's got to actually broker some truces that David did, didn't do at the very end. And so he's got, this, he's got the military protection and he's got to create these treaties and he's got that on his thing. And then, and then he's got to build a temple. You know, that's kind of a big deal. David wanted to build the temple and God said, David, no, no, you're not building, but Solomon can build the temple. And he's got, so he's got all these things that he's got to do. And God tells Solomon, Solomon, whatever you need, I'll give it to you, whatever you need. Solomon asked for wisdom. And God gave it to him. And he became a wise counselor. Think of this not as someone like a friend who you might call late at night and dump all your problems on. And they would say, yeah, that stinks. And yeah, I hate her too. No, this is something that you would, someone to whom you would bring the worst problems and they would show you the way out. And Isaiah says, this son that will be born, this child that will be given to you, his name will be Wonderful Counselor. He will be your Wonderful Counselor. Can I tell you something, and hopefully not to offend you, you need a counselor. Because we live in really confusing times. We live in weird dynamics of the sin wrecked world and we're dealing with the sin within and the sin without and there's brokenness everywhere and we need wisdom in our marriages and wisdom in raising kids and, and wisdom in raising teenagers and wisdom that we need so much wisdom we need counsel we need good counsel i think a lot of times we wish the bible was organized thematically So we could, you know, chapter 1 is on anxiety, and we could look at chapter 1 and what does it say about anxiety, and chapter 2 on debt, and chapter 3 on forgiveness, and chapter 4 on the in-laws, chapter 5 on navigating difficult relationships with the in-laws, and chapter 6 on that crazy uncle, and what happens when they bring up politics at the dinner table, and, you know, these things. And then there's a whole section on raising teenagers, we need lots of chapters on that. Maybe there's a chapter on transition to being an empty nester and another chapter on what God wants you to do with your money. And although the Bible does talk about those things, the Bible's not organized in that kind of way topically like that. No, it's arranged in this narrative story form, this this love story of a God who loves you so incredibly much that he would give everything you to be reconciled back to him even that being his very own son because if we would have written the bible in a topical temporary form we would go to it to fix our immediate problem but not to fix our real problem but instead of fixing the temporary problem the bible was written to introduce this love story so that we would come to know and love a person I love the Dadville podcast. Me and Dave's been talking about this the last couple of days. This Dadville, a couple of musicians, uh, believers, and they interview a spectrum of uh, people in movies and uh, musicians. And they had the guy. They interviewed the guy the other day, uh, Walker Hayes. I don't know if you know Walker Hayes. He's the he's the Applebee's country song guy that had the little dance to it, fancy like, "I'll do the dance for you," but uh, they would fire me. So let's not do that. <clears throat> and he was telling in there this story of how he came to Christ. It was incredible it's got some language in it he's he's not walking with christ so much yet he's 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 learning but it's he's just a new believer he's been walking with the lord for a couple years and he had this tragic event in his life and he had this friend his name's craig he actually wrote a song about him that comes and just loves him and is the love of jesus and walker says it is you know it was impossible to love me i was just i was a terrible person and yet Craig just loved me. And through that, he said, man, any, 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 any God who Craig serves and make, make that happen in that person, I'm going to go get to know him. So he walks in Barnes and Noble and he gets a Bible and he starts reading, starts in the Old Testament. And he's recapping this on this, you know, it's, it's, you're chasing rabbits the whole time. About, a, about 45 minutes into this thing, it just gets to this one point where he tells his conversion story. And it is the most beautiful thing. He said, I'm reading through the Old Testament and then even into the New Testament, and it's just one dude after another dude after another chick who just messes everything up. They just are given this thing, and then they screw it up, and then they screw it up. It's like, uh, you ever watched the cartoon Curious George where he just makes a mess of everything, and we just can't watch it. it, it Curious George has so much anxiety. Uh, when, when my kids wanted to watch, they can't watch Curious George. Or Caillou. He's so whiny. I couldn't watch him either. I just couldn't. Nope, can't do it, can't do it. I think my parents had shows like that, and they, like, gave us a spiritual reason that we shouldn't watch them. But I think they were just annoying. They just, And that's what Curious George is. It's just so annoying. We just can't watch this. This is, this, is what, this is what every character in the Bible does. We just mess it up and mess it up and mess it up, and this is Walker giving in. And then you get to the New Testament, and there's this dude named Jesus that comes on the scene, and he just rescues everything. It's amazing. He just rescues everything. He's a wonderful counselor. The writer of Hebrews explains why it is that Jesus can be such a help to us in the midst of our problems. This has brought me so much joy in my own life. In Hebrews 4, I think I have this on the screen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, this wonderful counselor is not just a king who would rule over us. He's a brother who lived among us, who's walked through everything that we would walk through. There's nothing on this earth that you will walk through that Jesus did not in some way experience. It says here that he was tempted in every way. When you walk through the Christmas story, you just see some of these, how he's so much like us. One of the things you see immediately is that Jesus was born into this worst kind of poverty. He was born into the Jewish nation and they were, uh, you know, slaves or, or captors, oppressed by Rome. They were poor as a people, but then Mary and Joseph seemed to be the poorest of the poor. Several things tell us that, that Jesus was born in a stable, of course, which means Joseph didn't like the, the... the the Priceline app to secure a place for him to go or didn't have the money to get it. He he didn't have, he didn't, you know, our little manger scene looks so precious and quaint. But let me tell you that that manger, No, no woman wants to give birth outside in the cold amidst all the cows and animals. Even farm girls don't want to do that. No, they want to be inside. The manger didn't smell like cinnamon and nutmeg. I assure you, it smelled something much different than that. When Jesus was dedicated at the temple, the requirement that Jesus had given as God was that you would have to bring a lamb that couldn't afford it. There was provision for the poorest of the poor. They could bring a few birds. At his birth, Jesus was laying down a pattern that he would repeat throughout his whole life. Born in a manger and dying on a cross. At his birth, the innkeeper said, there's no room for you. At his death, the people shouted, give us Barabbas. There's no room for you here. At his birth, he was wrapped in rags. At his death, he would be stripped naked in shame. At his birth, he would be ignored by the world. And at his death, he would be rejected by his very own father. Why? Why? He was bearing the rejection and poverty that I deserved so that when I come to him, I can do so with confidence, the passage says, knowing that God will not judge me because all the judgment for my sin was laid upon him. Isaiah said, surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows, yet we esteemed him smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for my transgressions. When I come to him, I don't get the poverty and the judgment I deserve because it was poured out on Jesus. This is why he's the wonderful counselor. He can sympathize with us. Nothing you'll ever walk through that Jesus didn't experience in some way. Financial difficulty, betrayal, relational trauma, slander, abandonment, grief, loneliness, physical pain, on and on and on we could go. He doesn't just leave us to learn all those things the hard way. No, he wants to give us wisdom inside those things. You need wisdom because life is more complex than you ever thought. Relationships are messy and finances are hard and raising kids are nearly impossible. I'm reminded every day how much I need wisdom. If you're with me and we pray together, nine times out of ten, I'm going to ask the Lord for wisdom. I know I need wisdom. James, again, would show us what this looks like when it comes to praying for wisdom. You may have heard this passage, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. My favorite part of this verse is without reproach. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. A lot of times when I need wisdom, it's when I've done gotten into a pretty big mess myself. Through my own sinfulness, through my ignorance, through my arrogance, through my own stupidity, I've done some things and I'm in a pickle. And I need wisdom to get my way out. And sometimes I assume that these things, man, I'm going to have to pray and to get my way out of this thing. And I assume, because this is probably how I would be, as much as I love my kids, this is how I would be, I, I would be sarcastic. Oh, oh, calling all the angels. Uh, Luke Luke needs help now after the mess that he has made. It's Luke again. He's made a real mess of it this time. I guess we'll help him. No, it says that we come and he gives wisdom without reproach. I hope this stirs your heart like it does mine. God promises that he would... He would never do it that other way. That he gives wisdom without judging me or criticizing me or being, for being in such a predicament where I need this wisdom. And that's because Jesus has borne all my condemnation. So when my marriage is messed up or I've called pain in my children or I've messed up things at work and I sincerely say to God, God, I need wisdom on how to follow you in this mess that I've made. James says that God delights in giving me wisdom in that very moment without reproach. Isn't that amazing? Are you here, are y'all? Y'all with me today, man? Y'all are perfect people. Y'all don't. Y'all don't. Yeah. God's so delighted when you come to Him. He's like, Oh, there's Dave again. Let's, you know. He is that way, absolutely. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. Hebrews says one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, and because of that, we can draw near to Him with confidence. He's the wonderful counselor, friend. Some of you right now, if you were honest, you would say, I'm in a real time of real need, and I need some wisdom. And the good news this morning, and the Christmas story reminds us, is there is one who is here to help. He's the most wonderful counselor. What I love about the name wonderful counselor is that it means that Jesus came for people, came for people with problems. Because if we didn't need wisdom, he wouldn't need to be the Wonderful Counselor. I love the name Wonderful Counselor. Now, if you're some of the people who have no problems and you don't need them, that's fine. He won't show up for you. But if you're like me and you got lots of problems, then Jesus is ready to step in as the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor because he came for people with problems. Remember, he said himself, I didn't come for the healthy but the sick. I didn't come to reward the righteous, but I came to save the sinner. Some of you like me have real problems. So let me give you some ground rules. Now, I got these from Tim Keller. These are amazing. So let me give you some ground rules of how you have to come to him if you're going to get this wisdom there is a there is a conditional clause we get these from watching how jesus interacts with people through the gospel we're walking through the gospel of mark we're taking a break through advent we're going to get right back in it in the new year you're going to see these things play out over and over first the three ways we approach this wonderful counselor we have to be authentic we have to be completely honest with him every counselor will tell you this Lyle does counseling full-time and and Jason does counseling and Emily in our church does counseling. many of you know Ross he's a phenomenal counselor a phenomenal therapist but they'll tell you that until you are completely honest about your problem you can't really get help if you walk in and you're just saying everything about your life is someone else's fault or someone else's thing and this is what I did but it was because they did this until you realize and you're honest about the real problem then there's there's no way to move forward there's a tendency that we all have that we want to keep the real truth about our problems concealed we do this even even for ourselves maybe that's because we feel shame and admitting the full extent of the issue maybe it scares us but until you're fully open and honest about the problem you can't get help And here's why this is true, because being healed by Jesus, being changed by Jesus, getting wisdom for Jesus is not like you hiring the plumber and saying, hey, would you fix the the clogs? I'm going to go for a walk, the dog, and when I get back, it'll be fixed, and I'll pay you. That's not how Jesus does it. We don't just call him in as like some supernatural mechanic, and he just takes the knock out of the engine. No, that's not what he does. Every time that Jesus gives us wisdom, when he changes our lives, you have to be active in the details. And if you're not honest with him about them, he won't ever really fix them. you got to be honest. God's not going to change your life without changing you. That's what he does. When he changes your life, he actually changes you. He, he transforms you. That you would look a little bit more like him tomorrow than you do today because you followed the wisdom that Jesus gave you. Jesus was talking with the woman at the well in John 4 who had really messed up and she had had a string of broken relationships talk about relational trauma she was in the midst of an adulterous relationship at the time and she was really unhappy and she kept trying to hide all that from Jesus because she thought surely if he found out all those things about her he'd walk away and so Jesus said hey enough of the fluff I know it all I know you've had five husbands. I I know you're living with someone now who's not your husband in adultery. I knew that when I started this conversation and I still came to you. The wonderful counselor has promised that his power is so great that there's no problem you have that he can't deal with. And his love for you is so incredible that he'll never turn you away. There's nothing about you that could already be revealed that will surprise him. He knows everything. There's nothing that is not already covered by his blood. And that blood was sufficient for every sin. Isn't that amazing? Everything that you've done in your past, everything you'll ever do in your future. No sin so heinous that it would separate you from the love of Jesus through the blood that he shed on the cross he's our wonderful counselor which leads to number two this is how we come one we got to be real got to be honest got to be authentic too we've got to really want to be healed we got to desire real change a lot of us are so comfortable with our sin we want jesus to come and polish it up or we get caught in it and we feel bad about getting caught but not about breaking the heart of almighty god and we want him just to ease it a little bit and that's not what he does you got to want to be healed. In John 5, he comes upon this lame man who had been paralyzed for uh, four decades. This is the most audacious thing in the Scriptures. And Jesus says, hey, what do you want? Do you want to be healed? Jesus, of course he wants to be healed. The guy's been lame for 40 years. And it's puzzled seminary students for centuries. Who wouldn't want to be healed? Us. We get so comfortable with the victim mentality. We adopt it as our own. Here's what Jesus is getting at. While many people want to experience the benefit of healing, they don't want to go through the painful choices that must accompany healing. They don't. They want to get rid of the root of bitterness, but they don't want to do the forgiveness part. They want to reconcile the relationship, but they don't want to do the humility part. They they want to grow financially, but they don't want to live on a budget part. We want the healing and the gifts that he gives without the way that he asks us to go and do it. We like the concept of change, but we're not really sure that we want to do all that hard work. My question, friends, is do you really want God to change you? Do you really want him to change your life? Are you willing to deal with the things that Jesus says that you must deal with in order to follow him in obedience and to walk in wisdom? Jesus says, I can heal you. Do you you really want it? I can show you a way out. I can lead you into a straight path, but you have to want it. The third way that we approach the wonderful counselor is we just have to do whatever he tells us. As you read the Gospels, one of the things that stands out is how often God, Jesus, asks people to do crazy things. Once in healing the blind man in John 9, Jesus spits on the ground, we've talked about this, and plays in the dirt and makes a mud pie. You're like, Jesus, what are you doing? He asks to heal his eyes. And then Jesus takes the mud pie with a spit in it and wipes it on the guy's eyes. How weird is that? Can you imagine being that blind guy? Like, what did I get myself into? He tells him to go wash it off in a specific pool that's all the way across town. Remember, the guy's blind. He's still blind, and now he's got mud mud pies on his eyes. Hey, bro, what I want you to do, there's this pool. Now, it's on the other side of the city. Why not just snap his fingers? Heal him. In another place, Peter needs money to pay his taxes. You ever needed money to pay your taxes? Maybe you should go fishing. In Matthew 17, Peter needs money to pay taxes, and Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go catch a fish. And then when you cut, uh, when you open that fish's mouth, there's going to be a gold coin in it, and it's going to be the exact amount that you need to pay the taxes. Why would Jesus do that? Why wouldn't he just... Pull a coin out of his ear or something, you know, like a magic trick. Because Jesus wants you to be obedient. Sometimes obedience doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. Jason, sometimes raising $40,000 doesn't make any sense. It just does not make any sense. And going to the other side of the world... Hey, listen, you know the real difficulty in, in their adoption story is, is not the 40,000. It's that Jason went and lived in China for a couple of weeks, and they don't have chicken strips there. And it's, I mean, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Sometimes what God asks you to do it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. He tells you to extend forgiveness, and it doesn't make sense because then who's going to avenge you? He tells you to cancel the debt, but they owe me the money. He tells you to give the money, but you don't even have the money. He asks you to move out from where you're comfortable. He tells Abraham to pick up his family and move somewhere, and he didn't even tell him where. He just says, I want you to go. I just need you to start moving. I just cannot, I feel so bad for Abraham every time. We don't leave the house and like go to dinner until we talk about it a lot right? They, they, have, uh, they have cheap prices. They have a, uh, you know, pre, you know, can we for, you know where we're going to go and what you're in the mood for. Abraham just picks up, and evidently he's got a lot of people. It's not just him in a U-Haul. He's got a caravan of all these things, and he's heading in direction, and God never told him. What. He just said, I would tell you when you start getting close. Let's go back to that passage in James real quick, and I'm going to wrap this thing up. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God who gives generously to all without reproach. I love that, and it will be given to him. Amen, amen, amen. Then in verse 6, oh, we we didn't read this part. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. No wisdom, no healing, no nothing. He's not going to receive anything because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Ouch. You've got to be ready to do what the wisdom, what the, what the, what the wonderful counselor says. You've got, to, you've got to lay your yes on the table before you know what he tells you. That's what it means to follow him in faith. So you know what I think we like to do? We like to say, like, uh, Jesus is this, like, magic eight ball, and we're going to shake it. Lord, what do you think I should do about this relationship? And we're waiting. And if you've ever played with the magic eight ball, sometimes you shake it four or five times until you get the answer you want, right? You're like, oh, I didn't shake it well enough or whatever it is. Sometimes I think this is what we do with the Lord. We say, Lord, what is, what is your position here? What do you think I should do here? What, what is your wisdom here? And we want to take that among many other sources of wisdom, uh, worldly wisdom. Uh, James would say in chapter 3, demonic wisdom. Uh, a lot of the wisdom we take is worldly wisdom, carnal wisdom, demonic wisdom. We're going to go get a self-help book, and it's going to tell us how to do something. We're going to get this wisdom. We're going to compare it to the Lord's and what we want to do. And then we're going to choose between the four or five options. And God says, no, it doesn't work that way. Unless you lay your yes on the table, unless you give God a blank check. I know we don't use checks anymore, but we used to use checks. And sometimes you would sign a check before you filled it out because you didn't know how much money that person would need for this specific thing that you were asking them to do. And you were just a little nervous because they could wipe your bank account out with that blank check. You're like, ooh, you know, you would call them every hour. Hey, did you fill it out? Can you send a picture to me? Can you? We want to give God gift cards, even generous gift cards. God, we'll give you 150 on a gift card because we know what it's going to cost us. And Jesus says, no, faith doesn't work that way. To get real wisdom, we've got to be authentic. We've got to want to change. And we've got to lay our yes on the table. That whatever he's going to tell us, then that's what we're going to do. Now, this is hard because in no other area of life do we operate this way. I don't tell you when you go buy a house. You know, the smart thing is just to sign that contract. You can read through the things. Uh, you can read through it later. When you, uh, when you purchase something, when you sign up for something, that's, that's not smart. No other way in life do we operate this way, but this is what God's called us to do as part of his kingdom. You'll never experience the help of the wonderful counselor until you ask him with faith. The only deal that Jesus makes is that he will give you all of himself and all of heaven and all of eternity and all of God if you surrender you. So are you willing to be authentic? Do you really want to be healed? Are you ready to do whatever he says? Let me close with this like last final thought and I'll invite the band on up. Maybe the most important thing to notice about the name Isaiah uses, the world wonderful counselor to describe is not the wonderful counsel it's not the solution he gives us to our problems what is most wonderful is not the way he fixes our problems but his presence with us in those problems amen sometimes you see the way that God helps us in our problems is simply by allowing us to see how wonderful he is while we walk through them He doesn't immediately take away our problems, but he reveals to us his wonderful promise that he is weaving and working things together for the good in our lives in his own wonderful way and that his wonderful presence will be with us every step of the way and never leave us even on our worst day of suffering. And that wonderful presence is more valuable than any solution to a temporary problem. You see a lot of people come to church, maybe some of you even today, wondering if God can make your life better. Like adding a little Tony Sacherese to the to the meal. Something happened in your life and that has driven you to come back to church and you're here today wondering, can God help my family? Can God step into my, and fix my marriage? Can God uh, help in this relationship with uh, with my career? That's a little like a kid saying, if I win the lottery, could I afford some gum? Yes, God can help you with your problems. But he gives you something far greater than the answer to those problems he gives you himself. Back to my original point, life's greatest discovery is knowing him. Knowing that he loves you and he promises to be with you every step of the way. Life with Jesus is too wonderful for words. And it's deeper and deeper and deeper. Some of you in this room, I met a former pastor earlier. You, you, you've walked with God for 40 and 50 years. And there's still more wonder to be had. Amen? Amen? It's a life too wonderful for words. And that doesn't take away all your problems, but it it does change the way you walk through them. I can live every day with the assurance that the wonderful counselor is my good shepherd. You know, every funeral I do, especially at the graveside, I try to read Psalms 23, and most of the times I read it out of the King James. It's familiar language that they've heard, but you ever realize that every funeral you attend... Is a situation where God didn't answer the prayer the way you wanted Him to. That you prayed for them to be healed and they weren't. That you prayed for another year and God didn't answer it the way He answered it, just not the way that you wanted Him to answer it. And so in those moments, we need to be reminded. And I read Psalms 23: when God didn't come through as you had hoped, He's still present. That you will never be in want that he will lead you beside still waters, that he will make you lie down in green pastures, that our good Father, our wonderful Counselor, he will restore your soul. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you you don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. It ends by saying, my cup overflows. A life too wonderful for words. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Amen. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, do you know the wonderful counselor? Maybe you're hung up on one of those steps of approaching. Have you been authentic with him? Do you want to be healed? Are you trusting him? You're going to do what he leads you to do? You're unsure of eternity. You've got a rebellious child, a bad health diagnosis. You can bring light into your darkness by inviting the wonderful counselor in. Let me pray for us. We'll take communion in a minute. But as you just get alone by yourself, just real quick, would you talk to him? He's listening. He's here. The Father's he's so ready and willing. He's been longing for some of you to come home for so long. He's been longing for you to trust him. He's been longing for you to be honest with yourself. He's, so, he's longing for you to get to the place where you really desire real change. He's, he's longing that maybe this Christmas we won't do this cycle of generational curse over and over and over again, but that you'll drive a stake in the, in the ground this Christmas and say it's going to be different. I'm going to get real help and real change, and I'm going to trust him this time. God, I love you. I thank you for your people. I pray that some of us see you today for the first time. So psalmist says that we're able to taste and see that you're good. That we're able to in- encounter you in this gymnasium in Bozer City is your spirit meets us. pray this Christmas wouldn't just be about all the things, the traditions and the good things the nostalgia, the gifts, the lights the food it would be about us encountering a real encounter with the wonderful counselor God do in our hearts what only you can do, in Jesus name amen, feel free to stay and pray, posture of prayer we have some prayer counselors in the back they would love to pray with you if you want to just Maybe that's a difficult step, that first step. You just want to say, hey, will you pray with me? Or maybe you're praying for a family member. And we're going to take communion. Communion at our church is, is not uh, closed communion. You don't have to be a member of our church. But you do have to be part of God's family. And here we just take the bread and dip it into the drink and partake. Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him, proclaiming his death until he comes again. So when we gather, we do this. And as you approach the table, would you just thank Jesus for being a wonderful counselor that he's invited to come to you, you to come to him without reproach you come when you're ready